Thank you, Jeff. Um, so we are still in Mark chapter number 6. Uh, we will be in verse 30 this morning through 56. And, uh, and I was just thinking, we just did a uh, praise and worship weekend, and many times Jeff in the morning introduction here in Sunday school will ask for a praise. And um, uh, we have uh, Fisher on the uh, vote to be removed from membership, my number two uh, son, who is now in Bowling Green, uh, Kentucky. And uh, I, I just want to say, I'm, you know, a dad, want, you know, you want your kids to make good decisions when they leave. You, uh, you hope and pray that they will continue in the faith and, uh, and uh, thrive and flourish when they're away. Uh, moms probably want them to stay home and thrive and flourish. But uh, nonetheless, Fish has just, he's just made a number of good decisions down there. And he, uh, he goes to a great church. We've gone to the church with him. Uh, thank you, Anj, for helping him find that church. He has uh, good friends. He's active. He's, he's uh, going to a community group and, uh, and really involved. So I just praise the Lord that, uh, that he has uh, continued to keep his arm around Fisher as he sort of left the nest to, uh, to make his own way. So um, uh, super encouraging for us to see um, God's faithfulness in young people as they grow up, right? It's a precious thing. So, okay. Uh, <clears throat> so enough about bragging about my fatherhood and excellence, uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's jump into our text, shall we? Uh, we are in uh, verse 30, chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a boat, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late... His disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. 
Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for, all, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Okay, so three scenes, right? A little bit of a longer uh, text. Uh, I wonder if you saw any uh, sort of Old Testament feeling uh, sentiments in there, any, uh, anything that, uh, that was in there that made you felt, yes, feels a little bit like uh, Israelites in Exodus. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of that. I hope I'll show you that as we go. I, I think it was, uh, well, I found it uh, really exciting as I uh, kind of went through this, uh, this uh, text. The title of my um, lesson is Jesus is the better Moses. We'll see him uh, show us that uh, this morning. But the theme is uh, that Jesus is God's compassion on display. And we see that in three scenes, all three scenes. <clears throat> we see it in the, in the first scene, uh, compassion for the lost, and we'll go on. Um, and I, I want to mention uh, last week, uh, Nathan Gerhardt uh, was, was teaching, and uh, maybe you remember he stole one of my verses. Remember how he kind of finished? He, he, uh, he stole this verse so that he could make a nice, tasty Markin sandwich for us all to uh, <clears throat> uh, sample. And, uh, and, and the reason for that is he wanted to show the uh, the emphasis of that text, and so we had the uh, last week the uh, the apostles go out on mission, right? We have um, John the Baptist loses his head, and then the apostles come back and report to Jesus. So we had this this uh, uh, bracket structure there around the story. This. Uh, this drama, like, like a soap opera of the execution of John the Baptist. And that structure pulls the martyrdom of John the Baptist uh, into the discipleship relationship 
that uh, that Jesus had. So so we've got the we've got the followers of Jesus and uh, and John the Baptist, certainly the first, a a forerunner, a uh, a follower before Jesus even uh, uh, shows up on the scene, right? And and so. We see, um, I, I don't want this to, to get lost in our text, particularly we're, we're kind of, we're getting into the, the ministry fairly deep here in chapter six is, um, is that we're seeing what it means or what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus as well, right? So uh, I uh, naturally put all of the emphasis on Jesus. He's the one we sort of lift up in the text, but we can, um, we, we have this sort of culture where we kind of, we see, well, the leaders, they do the work, you know, and we, you know, we watch them, support them and follow them. That's, that's kind of a, uh, a Western culture. And we can learn a lot about following Jesus by a lot about Jesus by following Jesus, by doing the work that uh, the disciples are doing. So we'll see that uh, a little bit in the text. Uh, living for Jesus, as we saw last week, uh, is going to cost you your life in one way or another, right? So we, we, have to, we have to put that type of weight on what's happening with, uh, with the, the disciples and we're getting another picture of, of, of what the, uh, the role of the disciple or the follower of Jesus is in our text. So Mark follows the story of Herod's banquet, a banquet uh, which is very different <clears throat> uh, with our banquet this morning, right? So Herod had a miserable banquet, if you recall, designed to serve himself to boost his political standing, his political capital. And it really backfires on him, as, uh, as Nathan pointed out. Uh, but to this day, no one remembers this banquet of Herod's. It, is, uh, it was totally in vain. And, uh, and few people care, but that we might be talking about John the Baptist, right? But... The feeding of the 5,000, this banquet, is a banquet so well known that the term feeding 5,000 is used around the world by everyone, unbelievers as well as believers, right? So the, the banquet that we look at this morning is a banquet of great consequence, of, uh, of such consequence that all of the gospel writers include this miracle in their uh, in their books, in their writing. So <clears throat> the host of this banquet isn't climbing a social ladder, but rather ministering to the real needs of Israelites in the spiritual wilderness. <clears throat> and so as we look at, uh, at uh, verse 30 here, we see that Jesus has compassion for the lost. Uh, the first thing that we notice in our text is that um, the disciples have been upgraded by Mark and are called apostles here. Uh, this is uh, the second time that, that he has used that term. He used it when they were called in chapter 3, if you recall, uh, on the mountain. 
And then he's called them disciples since. Uh, But here in chapter six, starting last week, they went out, right? So they are, they have sort of upgraded from students, just the being with Jesus part to going out uh, and, and serving him on uh, mission. And so they get to experience a little bit of what Jesus experiences on the mission. Now they're working uh, in uh, certainly not as, as well and perfectly as he is, but they are on mission now to proclaim the gospel. So they come back, they return in, in verse 30, probably excited, right? This is their first time out away from uh, their master. They're, I'm sure, tired. And, uh, and Jesus allows them to be human here, allows them to be uh, frail. And, uh, and we talk about rest, wants to uh, get a little bit of R&R. In verse 31, depending on your translation, it looks like, hey, let's, let's find the nearest KOA or Yogi Bear campground, right? Let's get away and uh, grab a little rest and relaxation after uh, the work that they have done. But the crowds aren't going to let it happen. And so, uh, so the disciples, the apostles, no doubt tired from this, uh, this trek, are experiencing what Jesus has been experiencing uh, so far in that he can't get a break, right? He can't get time away. He, uh, he goes uh, to Peter's home for solace, and it's packed wall-to-wall with people. Can't even make himself a, a sandwich, marking or otherwise, right? So, uh, so, uh, so the disciples are now experiencing what it's like to be on, uh, on mission. So we're getting a sense of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus, and it costs something. If you do it right, it costs everything, perhaps. And, uh, and so we see, uh, readers, this morning, we see the fruits of discipleship on display. What, what is discipleship? Well, we see uh, preaching, we see teaching, we see healing and casting out demons so far on the mission. And, uh, and now they return to home base. I like how Mark sort of paints this picture, they go away and they return to the master for uh, connection, for rest, for revitalization. They return uh, to Jesus. And so uh, he is the source of their ministry. He is the source of their uh, discipleship. Their ministry originates in him. The disciples must be attached to him. He is the source of their life, and he's about to demonstrate that in the next couple of scenes. Okay, so that's a little bit of the discipleship and what it means to follow him piece that we see all throughout our uh, text. So I don't want to just miss it and gloss over it uh, for the, uh, the, the great uh, visuals that Mark gives us about uh, Jesus himself. So in our first section, Jesus adds another fruit of discipleship to the menu, feeding his sheep. 
Jesus gives the disciples another resource that they previously didn't have. But before we get to dinner, let's look at the situation a little bit. Okay, verse 32 says they were in a desolate place. They're in the wilderness. Uh, The wilderness, right, historically is where uh, God meets with his people, particularly when they're lost. Okay, and the people, as as they get away to the wilderness, the people are looking for Jesus and his team. Imagine the crowd sort of amassing just uh, how, uh, uh, in a way, in a human way, how disappointing it would be. We found our way out in the middle of nowhere, right? And then Cousin Eddie pulls up his RV next to him and plugs it into the uh, septic system, right? And you're like, oh, man, no rest, no rest this weekend, right? And so uh, uh, verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, And he began to teach them many things. And our text this morning is full of Moses pictures. Remember, God pulled Moses away from a shepherd gig. He was a shepherd to his uh, uh, father-in-law or his uncle, I I forget. And when, uh, when God shows up in the burning bush and calls him to lead Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. God picked a shepherd to lead his sheep. Now, sometimes he did a good job, but we know that Moses was a very human uh, shepherd. And here in the wilderness, Jesus looks at these people and he has compassion on the crowd because they were sheep without a shepherd. Note that out of compassion, what did Jesus do? Did he feed them? No. Jesus taught them about himself. It's not supper time yet. Jesus, out of compassion, gives the crowd what they really need, which is the word of life. The people need to know about Jesus. The sheep need a shepherd. The sheep are dead in their sin. And Jesus is the greater shepherd, the greater Moses to God's people. Moses can yell at them and march them in circles, but it's only Jesus who brings life, breathes life into their dead souls. When we use the language of compassion, we almost always think of uh, meeting physical needs. But for Jesus, teaching was the greater compassion. What do these people need more than anything? Their number one need is Jesus. And so in verse 35, then, now it's dinner time. Now uh, it's getting late and we are in the middle of nowhere. And we could have a serious problem. Thousands of people in the dark with no food in the wilderness. And Jesus, in verse 37, very interesting. So you, you, you can see that he's getting ready to uh, teach the, uh, the 12 here because he ratchets up the stress a little bit. In verse 37, he tells the disciples, feed the people. 
he must be up to something because the disciples are like what do you want me to do you know you want me to take a couple hundred bucks and buy bread in town like it's uh it's just astounding it's a they're they're almost they're shocked and almost like what do you want me to do right and so in verse 38 everything depends on jesus and like moses dividing up the israelites by 50s and 100s like he did in exodus 18 jesus divides people into groups like moses jesus commands the people and the disciples deal out the loaves and the fishes fishes uh mark what a what a what a curveball mark who uh let's say uh doesn't like to give us too much detail right uh adds a little detail in verse 39 that it's springtime the grass is green be brown any other time so it's so april is the beginning of the jewish year it's springtime for us and the grass is green it's passover season for the jews and they are about to break bread with the lamb their deliverance you know um so this lamb will satisfy one day their passover requirements you know forgive me so everything depends on jesus and sometimes moses when everything depended on moses he wasn't particularly patient and loving uh but in verse 40 jesus is like a father to his people at mealtime in verse 41 he looks to heaven and prays a blessing on the meal and what a scene of thousands so five thousand men right so we're talking about uh plus women and children nine thousand twelve thousand this is a monster monster crowd and mark's brevity once again on display in verse 22 he says and they all ate and were satisfied but we don't want to miss this uh scene for its brevity brevity this was not simply a snack there were 12 baskets of food left over this was a banquet this was a poor man's feast this was a feast for the nobodies unlike the last banquet but mark's readers learn about the abundance of grace in god's kingdom in this feast i thought it was funny the 12 baskets of food left over like somebody's mom must have brought the baskets right you know you know maybe sending the kids out like make sure you bring some baskets in case we need to you know pack something or something like that it's kind of interesting but uh, i don't know where the baskets came from in the wilderness but uh it was a lot of food left over and so the purpose of this story isn't about i thought that would be funnier sorry about that you know uh, <clears throat> okay so the purpose of the story is not for us to learn about sharing this isn't a like a moral lesson like hey they made two fish go 
so far. Like you wouldn't believe the sharing that was going on here. Uh, it was a miracle. It was a miracle that, um, that, that was so important. We still talk about it to this day uh, as, a, uh, as a common phrase. See how the disciples react in verse 37. They're like, you want us to take a couple hundred bucks and go to the store? Right? They have no idea what's coming. They, they don't get it. This isn't about, uh, this isn't about a, a sharing exercise. This is a miracle on par with manna in the wilderness. Remember how God provided manna from his own basket to the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus fed the people in a way Moses could never do. Jesus fed the people like only God can do. Feeding the 5,000 showed God's loving provision for his people through his son, Jesus. Jesus is manna in a spiritual desert. If you are sort of at your wit's end, if you are tired of living like Herod, looking for self-esteem through your job or trying to buy love and admiration from people, if you've realized by now that all of that is empty and worthless, Jesus is God's perfect provision for those who are spiritually hungry. His meal is a meal that fully satisfies and a meal that never runs out of supply. Jesus is God who came to serve man. He is God's compassion on display. In verse 45 through 52, our next story, we see that Jesus has compassion on his friends. No sooner does Mark number the crowd, in verse 45, Jesus immediately sends the disciples away. He gets them away from the crowd. Other um, accounts, like John's account, John Uh, Chapter 6 also has the feeding uh, account. Uh, We know Mark doesn't like to add any superfluous descriptions or explanations uh, here so far. And John tells us that the crowd here wanted to make Jesus king by force. And they were looking for him, which is unusual, right? We don't usually see people uh, looking for uh, the Savior, Right? They're looking for him because he's got a reputation. He feeds them. It, that had to be amazing to experience. And, uh, and Herod doesn't do quite the job that Jesus does as a leader. And so uh, we get a sense from reading John that the people were um, you know, pulling together maybe a, uh, you know, a January 6th style overthrow of Herod's estate. They wanted to establish Jesus as their local ruler. And this is certainly the reason for Jesus to sort of usher his disciples away. Let's, we, this isn't the plan. This isn't uh, what we're here for. So let's, let's, uh, let's get out of this and unwind this potentially, uh, uh, you know, 
this potential hurdle to Jesus' ministry. And so he commands the crowds to leave and he slips away to pray. He now is checking in with the Father, right? The Master. And so this is the second of three times that Mark has noted Jesus going to prayer. And he is in the hill country of Bethsaida. So the reason Jesus moves the disciples out is it's a cool story. It's interesting, but it's not it's not Mark's focus. It's not the message. It's not the trail for us to uh, sort of run down uh, today, because what Mark is trying to show us is this demonstration. So Jesus is demonstrating through his action, through his work, <clears throat> that he is God, right? So this isn't, a, this isn't about words and titles and so on. Mark is showing that uh, Jesus is acting and, and he is taking the actions that only God can take. We saw that, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, calming the storm, right? And uh, casting out demons and preaching and teaching with authority, right? He is acting as God. And, and so that's where Mark wants us to uh, focus our attention with Jesus' ministry. And so in verse 46, he's praying and he sees the disciples struggling in verse 48. Uh, and it says, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So a couple of things. He's praying. He sees that they're struggling and he does take action here. But I get the sense from reading this. So the action and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Looks like he knew they were struggling. And after some time, about 3 to 6 a.m., he goes to see them, right? So he lets them struggle for a while, right? So again... It's uh, teaching time. It's time to, uh, for the disciples to learn yet again uh, of who this man that they serve, who is he? And so the disciples again were being tormented at sea. The wind was against them, tormenting them like a demon. And it was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. that Jesus moves. His friends are in trouble and Jesus moves. He takes action. He walks where only God can walk. Uh, There is a beautiful text in Job. Uh, Job has so many beautiful descriptions of God. They are grand descriptions. Um, Job 9 verse 8 says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Verse 11, he says, When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. And so, 
as Jesus is demonstrating that he is God, he, uh, he treads out there with all authority and all power to save his friends. <clears throat> but does verse 48 kind of grab you a little weird, a little, you know, little bit uh, uh, disconcerning here? When he, he meant to pass by, what? He sees they're struggling and says, hey, <clears throat> while they're out there uh, struggling, I'm going to run by and get to shore before they do and say, hey, hey guys, I beat you here, right? That's not at all what's happening here. So this passing by uh, that Job writes of, we see in, uh, in the Lord's transaction with Moses on Mount Sinai, don't we? Remember that when he's, he's out of mercy, out of compassion for Moses, he wants to give him a little, uh, a little reveal, right? And so uh, the Lord pitied Moses <clears throat> on the mountain. And that's the same thing happening here. Jesus isn't trying to sneak by his boys and get to the other side of the lake while, <clears throat> while they struggle. He's revealing himself to them out of pity, uh, out of care. <clears throat> so in verse 51, away from Jesus, the disciples are in harm's way. And <clears throat> with Jesus, the storm ceases. This isn't just sort of a theoretical kind of truth. We see time and time again in Mark that the safest place to be is at his mercy. Close to Jesus is the safest place in the universe, for now at least, right? Uh, so <clears throat> you recall the, uh, the guys tearing up the roof and dropping their buddy in the middle of a, of, of a uh, uh, worship session uh, at uh, Peter's house, right? What a, um, a uh, dishonor that was. They put their friend at his mercy there. Best place you could be best place in the house is at his mercy. So God revealed himself to Moses in fire, smoke, darkness, and thunder on the mountain. And the sea is seen as a place of chaos, darkness, of overwhelming risk. <clears throat> we, all, uh, we all have seen how helpless man is when he's at sea, right? We've seen Certainly a, a short video clip on um, <clears throat> Facebook or something like that of a, of a massive cruise ship, uh, a ship that carries 10,000 just being tossed about like a toy in a bathtub at sea, right? We are helpless at sea. The sea has power greater than we could ever uh, handle. And God reveals himself there to them in the storm. But sadly and shockingly, the disciples are amazed at this point. All the things they've seen, all, all what we've read so far up until this chapter, and 
they don't, they don't understand. The text says they did not understand about their loaves. <clears throat> their hearts were hardened. Jesus comes to their aid and they are bewildered and perplexed. How disappointing. In brackets, I say, says a man who attempts to solve his own problems. A hypocrite here in front of you, right? I do the same thing. I expect that some of you do as well. So far in Mark, the hard hearts belong to the outsiders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, the people in the synagogue. Remember the beginning of our chapter with his, his hometown uh, people, friends and family. But here, the hardness of heart shows up in his very own disciples. Uh, don't take your relationship with Jesus for granted. Don't take your faith for granted. Lots of people know stuff about Jesus <clears throat> and even say they love Jesus, but they don't live for Jesus. The disciples should have been looking for Jesus, calling for their master. Why? He is the bread of life. It is in the storm, in adversity, in the trial, that we can learn our pride is worthless. We are insufficient and incapable of saving ourselves. Throw yourself at his mercy. He has compassion for his friends. <clears throat> As we move into the next story in verse 53, it's a lot different. It's, very, uh, it's a lot less specific. It's very general and generic. <clears throat> Mark takes us to the villages of Gennesaret on the west side of the lake. In uh, true brevity, he summarizes the entire experience. <clears throat> they get across Galilee uh, and roll into town. It's not just one town. It's a region of villages. And uh, the, the encounter is recorded with no names, no dialogue, no teaching. The emphasis in the story is of throngs of people flocking to Jesus. People recognize Jesus and his team. They come out to be healed. They, it's, they see Jesus and his team coming, and they're going to grab anybody with an ailment to bring alongside the uh, road that he might heal them. <clears throat> this is the opposite of the hometown experience. We began chapter 6 in the hometown with rejection, no miracles, nothing great happening, and we finish this chapter... Uh, and, and frankly, we're finishing the, uh, what, the Jewish ministry chapter here uh, as well. And people are lining the streets. It's the opposite of the beginning. <clears throat> people come out and they were healed. Their, uh, their point of contact with Jesus is like beggars lining the streets to touch his cloak. They, uh, so he would be wearing a proper sort of cloak, which had uh, tassels at the points. And so they would, they would touch the tassels of his cloak as he passed by. We talked about this in a, in a previous lesson, how 
It may have been some superstition, some kind of local superstition, the idea of touching uh, his tassel. But they believed that he was the healer who could heal them. And, uh, and I think it's a fitting conclusion to our chapter. In this chapter of Jesus' ministry, his compassion has fed, satisfied, rescued, and healed. But the blessings of his compassion sort of raise other questions, whether those who experience these things will enter into his great kingdom. It's not clear that everyone affected by him is uh, saved, is, uh, has put their faith and trust, has put their life, lives in his hand. God is outside of our humanity and understanding. Isaiah 55, we know um, verse 8 and 9, right? The, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. We, we know that God is outside of our uh, existence. The psalmist says <clears throat> that the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. Princes. <clears throat> so uh, we see that Jesus has authority, independent from creation, unbound by space and time. He's infinite and sovereign, uh, and yet um, personal, loving, caring. In fact, he defines what love is. And so uh, that is uh, how I think we should conclude this, and we're like right at time. So, um, so God is so good to us in his compassion through Jesus Christ. Good morning.